This season of Crazy Sexy Food is sponsored by KeyJays. KeyJays is an independent family-run business that has been making speciality sauces for professional chefs and home cooks like myself since 1985. KeyJays first launched with its goldfish brand Curry Sauce Concentrates. More recently, they launched Taste KeyJays of Suffolk. Inspired by travels to wonderful destinations around the world, these are six authentic, quick and easy cook-in sauces and four Asian-inspired squeezy sauces. My particular favourites are the Spanish tomato sauce with its added paprika, as well as the Thai po chilli sauce to rev up my meals. Order my favourites as well as the whole collection from keyjayssources.co.uk. That's K-E-E-J-A-Y-S sources.co.uk. Hello and welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. I'm interested not only in food, but the people behind the food and the stories behind the people. Each episode, I sit down and talk all things food with well-known personalities, industry insiders, and people who, well, just love their food. Today, I am joined by a man who needs absolutely no introduction, but I'll do it anyway. Mr. Orville Richard Burrell, better known as Shaggy, rose to worldwide fame in 1993 with his debut single, O Carolina. This was followed by the hit song, Bombastic, that circled the globe over and over, finally accumulating in 1996 with his first Grammy Award for Best Reggae Album. He won the same award again in 2019. Fast forward and he has created songs that are the soundtrack of a generation, namely mine, Yes, I was that kid duetting with my mum in the car to school to It Wasn't Me in the early 2000s. He is still the only diamond-selling dancehall and reggae artist in music history. His seven Grammy nominations and two wins just show how much his music and moves helped bring the genre to the commercial market, selling over 40 million albums to date. And he's not finished yet. He's back with a new album for the season, Christmas in the Islands, a proper party take on the good old Christmas tunes. What an honour it is to have Mr. Bombastic himself on today. Shaggy, thank you for coming on. <laughs> wow, that's quite an introduction, I must say. Um, it's I could have continued. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I, I really don't, it's funny to hear all of that because I really don't, not, I'm not the kind of guy that really dwells on the past. You know, I'm 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 really focused on the future. A wise man said, "The rearview mirror is this small, the windshield is this wide." You know, why focus on this little mirror when the future is that wide open? So, and it could be very dangerous when you're starting to focus on the past compared to the future. So, just to hear all of that is like, wow, you know. <laughs> but you know what? When your when your past is as as beautiful as yours is, I mean, it must be quite an overwhelming. If you really do sit down and reflect, it must be quite an overwhelming experience to see how much you have achieved because it's it's insane. You know, like I, I'm 33. I was I was that kid growing up to your music. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I get it. Uh, and it's been a lot of hurdles. We've done a lot of incredible hurdles over the years, uh, especially when, you know, in 1993, that uh, no one was playing dance all music, but. You know, I broke the barrier th open with 
Old Carolina, that was the first British chart number one dance hall record. You know, and then we debuted with Mr. Bombastic, uh, which was the first dance hall or reggae record to debut at number one on the British chart. And then, of course, we followed that also with Angel and Wasn't Me, which both of them actually did de debut. But it was a, a moment there where everything that was being broken down was really done by what, what we were doing and how innovative we were at the time. So uh, it has not come without its, its struggle. The colourful Absolutely, class. absolutely. But I think that's also why I really admire people like you because, you know, before, you know, and I'm talking very generalised, before you, kind of like the biggest thing to kind of come out of Jamaica would have been like Bob Marley, let's say. And I feel like you really sort of brought that genre of music to the commercial market, you know, and then a lot of people have followed you and there are some amazing, incredible artists coming out. But I do feel like you sort of were like the real pinnacle of it. And so um, I guess thank you. <laughs> oh, much love. <laughs> so I want to ask you, how are you today? And have you eaten breakfast? I have not had breakfast. I've had some coffee. I'm not a big eater these days. I do like a great meal, but I'm, okay. you know, I'm also, it's COVID and you tend to put the COVID pounds on. So I'm the kind of guy that I, you know, tend to just, I think I eat like once a day. Okay. That's kind of, you know, I'll have, I'll have some coffee and then I'll have a, a really great meal at lunch and then maybe something small like a salad afterwards at night. And normally, what would you be having for lunch? Oh, that's a variety of things, my darling. <laughs> I'm, I'm a I person... I know. I, I'm a foodie, so I like everything. So mm -hmm. uh, yesterday I did um, Helsha-style fried fish. And when I say Helsha-style, oh. in Jamaica, you have... It, it, it Helsha, they it's just fried fish. It's with the onions. It, it's with the oh, vinegar. Oh, is that um, like... like a it's like the Escovich. I call Esco it like Escovich. Yes, yes, yes. I did that. That is off, with off some the scale. With some vegetables. And uh, I think in the night I had a, a soup. And that was it. Lovely. Yeah. I have to say, I, so I wanted to talk to you about Jamaica, obviously. I thought you were going to be recording from Jamaica. You're actually in New York, which is just as good because I love New York. But I, am a, <laughs> I, I go to Jamaica quite a bit. And well, I just, got back. My... I just got back two days okay. ago. Fine. So technically you're there. You're still yeah. there in spirit. Um, I, I love Jamaica. It is honestly one of my favorite places on earth. And we, you know, we need to just talk about it because I think for people that haven't had the chance to go, it's the most incredible energy, the people, the food, the vibes, the music, the, just the, the, the whole experience is so special. I think when you look at Jamaica, it's, it's the cool factor. I have a song on my Christmas album called Take You to the Cool. And it, I, I look at Jamaica as the cool because of the fact of this little island with about three million people, you know, and the impact it has had on global, global culture. You know, if you look at what Katy Perry or Lady Gaga has done, that's Grace Jones. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah if you look at, if you look at, you know, what the rock boys have done, what you look what Ed Sheeran or any of these guys, it's all from this culture. If you look at, at reggaeton, which is a birth child of dancehall, if you look at Afrobeat, which also has strong influences of dancehall from it, hip hop with Cool Herc, it's amazing what the magic of this art. I was having a conversation with Sting, who wrote Every Breath You Take and 
uh, King of Pain and everything she does is magic. And all of that lovely album, it was recorded, it was, it was written at GoldenEye in Jamaica, right? Mm. And incidentally, at GoldenEye, which is Ian Fleming's house, where he wrote the James Bond novel in, yeah. in Jamaica again. There's something magical about that island and the culture and the people itself why you have such a small island that has such an Im- amazing impact um, on culture globally. You Absolutely. Know? You were born and raised in Kingston. I want to know about what life was like growing up. Sort of paint the picture for me. Not only your life in general, but I want to know what you were eating, who was cooking, what was your relationship like with food as a child? Um. You know, I had, I'm had. i from a ghetto household, you know, so you're talking ghetto food, you know, tin mackerel <laughs> with dumpling and um, boiled banana, yam. You know, you get a lot of rice with gravy and you might get one little meat, piece of meat, piece of chicken. <laughs> I ate that. <laughs> I mean, you know, porridge was always cornmeal porridge. You know, you do, um, you know, you get a cornmeal porridge, uh, you know, that we would we would cook, uh, that they would boil, you know, we'd put the cinnamon and it was, the, you know, you put the cinnamon leaf in it and, you know, your condensed milk, you know what I mean, to give it the sweetening. And that was always almost comfort food. Hard old mm. bread, hard old bread, uh, which is not the healthiest thing, but it tastes so damn good. Mm. And you put something called anchor butter on top of it and let it melt into the hot bread. For a kid, that's just, that's just heaven. So that was my childhood, you know. Um, and if you get if you get like a cake or a cupcake, you're a happy kid. Back in them days, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it was. We weren't used to things like in America. People like like I remember the first time I had cornflakes. It was like, wow, this is amazing. I have corn. This is cornflakes. You know, you would get that as a treat. Yeah. And that would be sent from your your relatives from them. From America, I send you a, a barrel, and in the barrel you have cornflakes, and then they'll always pack it with the soap, you know, so the so the cornflakes kind of taste like soap too. So. <laughs> the ghetto living, yo. <laughs> I love it, but you are not complaining. <laughs> nah, it it shaped who I am, and and I have it to this day that your job as an artist and and what you, and your talent that you've been blessed with, you've been blessed with it to to, to use it to actually change the cycle of your bloodline, you know, the cycle of, of my relatives, you know what I mean? So, you know, we don't have to do that anymore. You know, we live in, we don't, we're not in a tenement yard with, with a shared bathroom for five different yards, five different house. They all have homes now, you know, um, education-wise, you know, a couple of my, my uh Uncles, daughters, and nephews, and, and, and all, all of them—they're all going to college now. I, you know, nobody in my my family has ever had a college degree. You know, finally, mm-hmm. and now I have a member of my family that just got into Princeton on a full scholarship. You know, what I mean, so wow. it's it's things like that that you you feel proud because you've used your your influence and your talent to actually change the cycle of you, of your of your you know. Of your your, your family, yeah. And when you were growing up, so who who was like the primary cook? Was your mum cooking? No, I was raising my grandmother, which she, she was a, right. a lovely cook. But there was a grand aunt called Miss Amy. We used to like to go to her house because she would just cook sweet. <laughs> you know, like like 
your mother, your grandmother will cook, say, for instance, chicken and rice. Yeah. So stew chicken, rice and peas. Because, you know, Jamaica is a gravy culture. Of course. It is what it is. Yeah. You know, it's not the healthiest thing at this time of my life, but it's a gravy <laughs> culture. So she would cook, my grandma would cook, stew chicken, rice and peas. You get the rice and peas, you know, you put the coconut, you grate the coconut. You know what I mean? You squeeze the coconut milk in there. You know, you know what I mean? You make it cook down. The, the rice, you have that shelly rice. You know what I mean? Or you can't get it a little clumpy. You know what I mean? Where you have the gungo peas or you have the red peas. You know what I mean? And then you, it, it, it's, you're smelling the coconut. It's smelling the whole vibe. Mm. Then you have the chicken, which is the, 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 the brown stew chicken. You put the little brown in the night and you put your tomatoes, your... Your scallion, your onion, you know, your, your black pepper, your seasoning, your yeah, I make it cook down. But my my grand aunt had something she did that no matter what it just tastes, she would put like a little breadcrumbs in it too. Oh wow! With it, right? We give it that for the gravy with it, and the little breadcrumbs in the chicken while it's cooking, and the scotch bonnet, and it's. Oh. And probably, I don't know, there's something she had to do in there because it tasted sweet. Not sweet like a sugary sweet, just sweet. It's just a vibe. that. And she was just, and we would just, when you say, oh, we're going over Aunt Amy, everybody was happy. Because we, we just hope that she cook it. What an amazing memory. Oh, Isn't that funny? There's always like that one person in your childhood that you sort of like gravitate towards their cooking for some reason. And it's just like, obviously she had that touch. Maybe it could have been like a tamarind or something. Probably was tamarind, yeah. It would give it yeah. that little, I don't know what it was. Yeah. I, at I that time, I was, I was so young to catch it. I just remember tasting it. And, mm. if, and, you know, and she's dead now, but it's very few food that I have that brings me back to that. You know, because there's just nobody that, you know, recipes change over years as you go, as people go. Especially since now that cooking shows have become so popular. Everybody's experimenting on with taste, but that little traditional taste that you're used to, it's going to be hard to find these days. A lot of people may not know this about you, but I'm kind of fast forwarding a little bit now. You were in the U.S. Marine Corps for a while. How mm -hmm. was that experience? The Marine Corps shaped me for everything that I had to go through. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know that I was going to be in music and I was going to be the guy that is put in a position where I'm representing a whole culture, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be on top of the pops or on all these pop. But that took a lot of discipline to do that. And I think the military shaped that. I'd have to get up at um, 5 a.m. in the morning. I had a drill instructor screaming in my face. We had to do our cleaning and we would get our, our, our barracks inspected with a white kerchief. You know, to make sure everything you had to fold with six inches of white. Uh, like people wow. would say that you go into the military because, you know, it taught you, to, the military teach you to fire a gun. The streets taught me to fire a gun, right? The military taught mm. me to balance my checkbook. <laughs> 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 you know what I'm saying? I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the deal. You know what I mean? So yeah. It really prepared me for all of that, really. Mm. And kind of linking it back to the food, what was the food like when you were there? Horrible. 
<laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I mean, you know, because where where were you where were you stationed? I was stationed in North Carolina. Um, okay. At a, a Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, in a place called Jacksonville. I know it very well. I've been there. Yes. So. For some bizarre reason. Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to ask. Yeah, don't. <laughs> That's another story for another day. Oh, my God. (laughs) But in the military, you had a thing called MREs, Meals Ready to Eat. And they were processed kind of a food that you eat in the military. In war, when when I was in Desert Storm in the first Gulf War, we ate a lot of those. And they had a thing called Chicken a la King. This thing is nasty. (laughs) I can't even imagine. But then they had the cheese... That you would, you know, it's it's processed, you know, it's in this these bags that you could have them for a while. You squeeze it in there, uh, you know, you you you'd have this kind of a meat that you throw water on it, then it becomes meat. So it's kind of dried, but then the, oh you, you put hot water and it becomes meat, and you use the processed cheese with the two crackers, and that's a burger. <laughs> wow, it's not pretty. I hear it now, but no. The, the military meals are much better now, I hear. I hope so, for their sake and mine, <laughs> all of our sakes. <laughs> I obviously mentioned in the uh, in the intro that, you know, you broke into the music industry in the early 90s. Was music something that you'd always wanted to do? Was it always ingrained in you in some way? I, it was ingrained in me in the sense that my grandmother was a big music lover, but she was a Christian woman. So she listened Patti Page and Mahalia Jackson, all those big gospel people she would play their records but there was one artist she always played even though she was a christian woman was toots and the maytals toots was her thing and nice. you know years after i ended up making a record with toots and i had a conversation with him i said my grandmother is dead but i know she's seeing me right now doing a record with you and i've oh. i've i want you to know that i've finally arrived <laughs> and he and he laughed you know um and and toots was such a a great soul. We lost him this year, you know, due mm. to COVID. But uh, um, it was, you know, it was a musical household in that sense that she played. But when I really got into music, I found I had a knack to make rhymes up. And it was because of chicks. I was in high school. I was a young uh, 16, 17, whatever it is at that time. And I always on my mind was women. And I wanted girls. And I was in the lunchroom in Erasmus Hall in Brooklyn, and they had these cliques. There's the Panamanian cliques, the Puerto Rican cliques, the Dominican cliques, the Jamaican cliques, the Haitian cliques. And we'd go there in the lunchroom, and I would spit rhymes. And I'd look at a girl I like. I'd talk about her hair. i talk about her hearing, her nose, her lips, clothes she's wearing, her handbag, her book bag, whatever. And I'd get her number. And I realized that if I spit rhyme, I'd get chicks. You know what I mean? And then I, I start, love that. And then I start making local reggae records, and I'm like, okay, if I make local reggae records, I get into the club for free, I drink for free, <laughs> and I leave with the hottest chick. This is a nice life for a guy that's about 17, 18. This is like I am a, Damn right, I'm yeah. a ghetto superstar. <laughs> and I just kept going, and one of those ghetto songs happened to be Oh Carolina. And next minute, you know, Greensleeve, you know, licensed the record. They're doing it. And they have distribution to BMG. And then re- later on, Virgin, Ken Berry at Virgin Record is giving me a million pounds. And I'm like, okay. You know, I 
this is unheard of, but hey, cool. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> and then after, I, th- I, th- I think I got like Mr. Boombastic afterwards and then I'm, they gave me another million. I was like, okay, I could get used to this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Go maybe, on, yeah. why not? Give me another. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I got a career. Let yeah. me see, you know? I mean, obviously, like with something like like with Bombastic, you know, that was it catapulted you into this like global phenomenon. You know, you had the Levi's advert, you were everywhere. Like, at what point did you kind of realize like, shit, like I've kind of made it like this is serious. To, I'm going to say something that's going to really knock you right now. I don't feel I've made it. Really? Yeah, I don't feel I've made it. I, every time I think that I'm there, I witnessed something else that made me realize I'm, I'm nowhere near there you know I've sold millions of records I've pretty much helped to establish a genre on a pop level level you've had people like Sean Paul and all these people have done in our genre and then I go on tour with Sting and realize there's another level of it that I didn't know existed and I'm like so what do you wow. feel like you would need to achieve to get to that point I think I was well in the reach of it but I don't think I had smart enough people around me to get me there at the time when I was at, at that point. And, um, you, know, when, you know, when I did the 44876 with Sting and I, you know, I'm flying around on a, on, a, on a private jet going from shows to shows and we're playing Coliseum and he's singing all his music and people are paying, you know, in some cases, 4,000 pounds you know, and the level of production, you know, and how professional his people were and how much excellence they demanded of him and how much excellence he demanded of them. It was a lesson and an incredible eye-opener and made me realize, okay, we got a lot of work to do, mm. you know, in our genre. There's, mm. there's, a, there's a lot of work to do. There's levels to this thing. You know, and, 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 and me being at the top tier level of it, you know, uh, thinking that I was there, I think any reggae artist right now out of Jamaica would be thrilled to have my level of success and, and be like, oh, my God, I made it. But I'm like, OK, yeah, but there's another level. It's interesting you say that because it's kind of like what I'm, I touched on uh, at the beginning of the conversation is that as kind of like the average consumer of music, of your music, whatever, but specifically with you and, and, and the genre, I feel like aside from Bob Marley, who was and is huge and an incredible trailblazer, you did bring that genre to the world. And, you know, yeah. it's really interesting that you don't, I mean, I know that you're, you're saying that you, you do feel like you've done that, but the fact that you sort of don't feel like I've sort of called you that global phenomenon. You, 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 you perhaps disagree with that. I disagree with it. In, in, uh, it is a global phenomenon. I'm not taking anything away from that and what we have done. But we also right now have the lowest streaming genre of any genre. But yet still... this really? one, th- this Still? Dancehall is the lowest streaming numbers of all... It's lower than Afrobeat. It's lower than um, reggaeton. It's lower than hip-hop. Uh, it's it's low to a point that you can't go into from a BBC to a Spotify or anyone and have a conversation about dancehall. The numbers are just too low to have it. If that's the case, BBC would be programming a lot more dancehall than mm. you see. So mm. we have made some steps, but then 
we haven't gotten very far. And a lot of it is we have not had a, a, a movement. Like, take for instance, uh, Afrobeat became a movement. Reggaeton became a movement. We weren't a movement. We started a movement, but didn't. We, you know, when when I kicked it out, and then Sean came, and then you had Wayne one, then you had that period, and you see Gwen Stefani start making "Hey Baby," and yeah, and yeah. the pop people start going. That was a a movement, the beginning of a movement that didn't fertilize, and mm. that's because we didn't have enough educated people in the right positions to make it go to that next level. The players at the, at that point were not super smart. Uh, they were new to the game, and they were fed propaganda. Like, if you're fed that you are the shit, you are where it is, you're going to buy that if it's coming from that guy. I would see the head of a company bring a, a reggae artist in, and because that guy is the guy that signed Michael Jackson or whatever it is, and he'll make some complimentary, oh, you're great, you're this, you're that, you know, what da 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 and you would buy into that because you have seen that figure and seen that he has done these great things. And then he'll walk out the room and the other guy that's, that's deal doing the deal is like, oh, the boss really likes you, right? And it's a mind game. And you, you know, but they're lowballing you. But the fact that this iconic figure just came in, into this room, you're like, wow, I want to be on that. You know, it's like, it's like, okay, Chris, I remember when Chris Blackwell wanted to sign me with old Carolina. There was a bidding war between London Records, Island Records, um, and they, they, were all, they weren't on the one umbrella then. Uh, it was a Payday Records. It's a bunch of labels that was trying to sign me. And the bidding was there. And Chris wasn't the highest bidder, but I wanted to be on Island because that's where Grace Jones and Bob Marley and Sly and Robbie. Course, and, yeah. and that's the reggae. That's, that's it. And, it yeah. and, and I was friends with Suzette Newman, who was his right hand. And I, she picked me up every day. We would have lunch. She'd come and get me from the airport. It, she was my, you know what I'm saying? But then Kenberry called down from Virgin, and he says, I'm going to give you a million pounds. And, and I was happy that he was giving me a million pounds, but you're not Ireland. You're not Chris Blackwell. I don't know you. And he's like, yeah, he's Kenberry. You know, he's the head of, I'm like, I don't know this, I don't know this guy. You know, I don't want to be on this label. But what he was offering me, Chris wasn't matching in no way, shape, or form. But he's an iconic guy. Mm. And I want that iconic. We've got to be careful not to buy into that. And I think in, in the early parts of when music was going on, there was a lot of that going on where they realized that the people in charge of dancehall, of this movement, weren't hip to the game. And they would sway them in different ways and lowball them and put them in the room and people work the room and they'll, you know, come in and say, wow, you're one of the greatest managers or you're one of the greatest, when they know you didn't know shit about it because they could look at the emails you're sending and know that mm. just from an, mm. from an email chain that, okay, this guy is, is not very equipped or know what he's doing about, but they'll prey on that, you know? Um, so a lot of that went on also in the game of, in the game of it. So there's a, there was a lot to be done. So I'm not discrediting what we did. I just said we didn't get that movement going on and I'm hoping we get that. Well, I was going to also say, because you're sort of talking about the idea of like perhaps the knowledge and, and not maybe not the right people, but also is it an element of timing? Because we talk about something like Afrobeats, like mm -hmm. that has just gone mad. 
-hmm. like especially like in the UK, like in the UK especially. My, my peers and whatever thing, like that is all that people are like listening to, buying into, mm -hmm. like, you know, not discrediting Afrobeats. I'm a huge fan of it, but mm -hmm. was that a timing thing? Or was that like people just were there at the right time, right place, people knew what they were doing? I remember during my time that I used to go to Africa and I played stadiums and the majority of the, the main music that they played was not African music, it was dancehall. That was their mm, main, that wow. was their main mu music in Uganda, Kenya, um, South Africa, you know, uh, the Congos, dancehall was the main thing. Uh, and that's during our time. And, um, and I was playing stadiums when I get there. And so what you have now is a fusion of dancehall and African music, which brings to what is now Afrobeat. Um, and I still think that Af Afrobeat is enjoying a huge level of success, but it still has not gotten where it's supposed to be. They have not conquered the world on the scale. You look at the J Balvin or you look at any of these Latin boys. These boys are global superstars. Huge, huge. We, we're yet to see that with our Afrobeat guys. Mm. There's a couple of guys have come close to it, but not to the level of where, okay, you could ask mid-America who that guy is. You got middle America people who don't speak Spanish or have nothing to do with Spanish or, or don't even know about Latin, but they know who J Balvin is. Mm. They know Nicky Jam. They know mm. uh, Daddy Yankee. You know, they know J-Lo. They know that, you know what I'm saying? We're not seeing that global thing with it. In dancehall, we got it to a point because there's an artist where everybody in the world know, which is Shaggy, and they know Sean Paul, they know Bob Marley. You know what I'm saying? Those are your three main guys where everybody knows. You know, Popcorn is also on his way up there. He's he's moving in the right direction. But, you know, it, you're, you're yet to see to see that. And I wish that for that genre also because it, it, it makes us stronger. You know, if Afrobeat does well, dancehall has a shot. You know what I mean? Because it's from it. Of so course. that's kind of where I'm at. Big things coming. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting because I um I recently spoke with Niall Rogers. Niall, Niall came onto the podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah, genius guy, another genius. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On, and also what a lovely, humble gentleman, just yeah. a, an amazing man. And we were actually talking about this idea of um sort of this 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 idea that to the outside world there's this whole like overnight success. And, you know, like, if you don't know much about, like, Niall's story, for example, and, and, the, and the rise of Chic, a lot of people just think, oh, you know, Chic were like this massive movement in the, the late 70s, early 80s. It was disco. It was, you know, all of that. And, you know, with you as well, it's like that clearly isn't the case. There is no such thing as overnight success. It takes years yeah. to build this a movement, to, to build the you know the, the following the and, and also what is success you know what really is success at the end of the day yeah that's why i said I, I don't think i've achieved it yet you know as much as people might think that i'm there i'm still i still have that hunger you know and you're right i'm i'm fortunate i realize how fortunate i am to be almost 30 years and still be of relevance you know last year we had banana and this was a tiktok um, sensation a record I did I'm 52 and I'm on TikTok that's the most youthful platform there is and they're singing to my songs I see it wasn't me getting TikToked I see 
all of these songs and I'm like, okay, so I, I know I'm very fortunate to be of my age and still be of relevance in the game of music. You know, I'm just trying to do my part to try and get my genre to a, to a level of where, um, you know, it's recognized. And I, I, I'm tired of seeing all reggae artists die broke. Mm. And there's tons of them that I know that have contributed to not just the culture or the music culture of Jamaica, but the global culture. And they die broke. I don't want that. I, there needs to, they, we need to be educated. And it's a different time now. I think these new artists are, are in a better position because you have a little thing called your device. And that device is Google and YouTube is your friend. Everything you want to know about the music business, you can find. Back then, I had to research it. Mm. And they would feed you crap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do feel, listen, I'm not, I'm not a musician. I, I, I don't know if I can even, if I'm allowed to say some of this, but I feel like the, the, the device is kind of like this blessing and curse at the same time. You know, that it's, it's a blessing. I mean, my God, look yeah. where we are. Yeah. But then, you know, people, you know, I'm from the cassette generation. I haven't, who, who, there are, there are generations growing up who won't know what CDs are, you know, you're, and, you're right. you're you know, right. and, 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 and illegal streaming and downloading. And, you know, it's sort of, you start losing the essence and I'm quite old school and that upsets me a little bit. You must never look at the device as a curse. And I'll tell you why I feel that. Somebody said to me the other day, it's like, man, the world is so bad. I wish we could go back in like the 70s. And I said, you mean back in the 70s when they were murdering people and having genocide and stuff like that? Oh, that was a better year than 2020? The reason why you think so, because you didn't know. It wasn't mm. reported to you. Your device makes you be firsthand there. Your device is power. Your device makes you have a voice where there's other people who used to be your voice. Mm. And it puts you in that That's position true. to, do you think Black Lives Matter would have happened if it wasn't for the device? I know, well, this, you, this, is, the, this is it, isn't it, right? Would you think we would have been having the conversation yeah. we're having right now if it wasn't? Yeah. Matter of fact, Donald Trump would have gotten a second term if it wasn't for the device. Yeah. Absolutely. It's how you use the device. Now, they're yeah. posi I agree with you. There are positive and negatives to it. But then there are positive and negatives to everything in life. Yeah. I've just been told the truth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have just come. Uh, you've just released uh, the new album, Christmas in the Islands, which may I say, as someone, I've got my hand up. I'm not the biggest fan of a Christmas song. I've got mm. is. But I've listened to the album. And can I just say, it is the best take on the seasonal sound that I have ever listened to. My oh, particular favorites are We Got Us mm. and Holiday in Jamaica with mm. Neo. Um, absolutely brilliant. Why did you want to do it? You know, it started um, with me and Sting. We, we did a, a, a Disney Christmas special last year and we did like, a couple of songs we did, um, you know, Silent, Silent Night and, and, and Little Drummer Boy and Reggae. And he says, wouldn't it be cool for us to do like a, a reggae Christmas album? I was like, oh, you know, it's a great idea. And 
so at the top of the year, I, I finished my UK tour and I started, you know, putting some melodies together and everything. And then the pandemic hit. And I figured like, okay, Corona, all right, this is going to be last two months and we're good. But it kept going. That's what we all thought. <laughs> yeah. And Sting was stuck in the UK. I was stuck in New York. And I kept writing. And then I ended up giving a chance to go to Jamaica. And I was stuck in Jamaica. And it was clear then it's going to be a Shaggy record. And so I started to shape these songs on my Caribbean experience. And so I called on people like Bounty Killer and Junior Reed and, you know, Omi and Shensia and, you know, a lot of these guys, I holler at Neo and Josh Stone and just friends, just people I had. You got Beanie Man on there. Beanie Man, people that I know that I have great, you know, uh, just great relationships with. And I just kind of, and what I did, the concept I took was really when when, when Christmas in, 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 in Jamaica, Christmas, it's, it's not about snow and and sleigh bells, you know, it's really about the parties, you know, because we're blessed with great weather, you have the day party, the night party, the beach party, the white party, you know, I mean, the rum party, the weed party. I was just about to say the rum party. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's every kind of party. And what they play was dancehall and reggae party music. Your 90s, your super cat, your beady man, your butt, you know. So I just literally made party music with a Christmas theme. Because but that's I'm going to listen know. to this album once Christmas is done. That's what's so brilliant about it. That's the idea. Right? Okay, you might be talking a bit about Christmas, but actually it's yeah. it's just got such a vibe. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing about it is every Christmas you're going to be able to bring it back and we can add tracks to it, you know, for the next 10 years. You know, I'm also doing a Christmas special because in, in, in the Caribbean, when I realized my, uh, remember, they always have like Bing Cosby's Christmas or Mariah Carey's <laughs> Christmas special. Yeah. What happened to the Caribbean Christmas special? I agree. So I wanted to have this massive Christmas special. So I recorded a Christmas special with, you know, all the guys from the album. And, you know, there's cooking and there's food. You know, I got Jackie Tyson come and tell us how to do sorrel and, you know, to stuff the ham, I often be at the chicken, I know if it jerk the chicken, I yeah, the jerk, you know what I mean? And all of that. We we had all of that, hope oh, make the potato pudding, you know, if it make the little slush on the top with with the coal on the top. I, I just do all of that and then you talk about Jankuno and and so it's a beautiful thing and it's being aired at nine AM on Christmas night on both television channels in Jamaica and also on oh, my YouTube on, on my YouTube channel. Yeah. Oh brilliant. Oh, I'm gonna tune in. Yes. You Wicked. Should. You should. And it's sorry, is that nine AM Jamaica time? Jamaica time, yes. Cool. 9 so PM. that will be about PM. Oh, PM. Fine. PM. Okay. Well, then I got to stay up late. Oh, my bad. That's fine. That's okay. I'll do that. If I've got if I've got the rum going, it's all fine. It's all fun if you've got the rum going. Yes. Um, as a, as a proper London girl, um, I I have I do have to ask you how your experience was um, when you collaborated with Sasha Baron Cohen, aka Ali G, because that was a uh, that was an interesting, yeah. funny. Well. <laughs> you just you just pulled a face. <laughs> it was bizarre. It was bizarre. Bizarre. To, yeah, bizarre to say the least because it was, you know, you can never find growth unless you're you're outside of your comfort zone. And a lot of that was yeah. outside my comfort zone. And I was trying to find a way to be comfortable outside of my comfort zone. It was a, it was a it was a great experience. And funny enough when we wrote the song, we did it in this studio here in in New York. So Sasha came here and stayed with me here for about 4 days while we wrote the song and worked on it, you know. And um, I was a fan of him because I was watching, I think he did a whole bit as Ali G when he was doing the weed, the weed bit and he was asking the guy 
you know, the names of the weed, and, and it was a serious conversation. He was yeah. like, "Oh, right, oh, this guy is brilliant." <laughs> so I, I was a big, and he, you know, he's nothing like his characters, man. He's a very soft-spoken, you know, easygoing guy, very creative, uh, and I had I had a lot of fun with him, and and it was really really good. I remember one time, I don't know if we could say this, so we were going to a BBC interview, and I was in the car with him, and he said, "Shaggy, we can get in this interview. You just follow my lead." You don't have to say much. I got this. I'm like, okay. So we're going in there. We're talking about the whole thing. And it was Zoe Ball and Courtney Cox were the two, I think, were two presenters on the BBC today. And he's sitting there and he's going off and he's in this character. And I'm sitting there and he's on daytime and says, oh, me and Shaggy, we so lucky. It's the first time we could have, you know, an interview by cocks and balls and making it great. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> oh, on no. Day, on daytime radio, and I'm like, oh, this guy's brilliant. And I just... I never thought to put both of them names together, Courtney Cox and Zoe Ball. Cox and oh. Balls. <laughs> this is what... Do you know what? I will give him, like, his intelligence... Is, oh, is like beyond. He's a bright guy. He's a bright guy. Beyond. He's a bright beyond. guy. But these were the experiences I have with him, man. That he is, he is, um, you know, he's he's a, a special person. He's a special yeah. person. <laughs> <laughs> have you been to Carnival in London? Yes, I have. I've I've played. So it that's where twice. that's where I'm born and raised. Oh yeah, I'm oh. born and raised Labrick Grove. Labrick um, Grove. Yes. And your thoughts on it? Love it. I, the last time I was there, it was raining like hell, and I was on the <laughs> Saxon Sound System DJing the mic oh, out yeah, there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we was just out there, a good crowd out there, and, but it was raining. Um, I know, that's the only issue we but, have here. Yeah, but I was running up and down with it, and it's a big thing, and I, and I, I, I love how it's represented. Um, the Caribbean people come out and show their strength. And people should always, whether you like music or not, or like the fact that people are, you got to come out because that's when you start to show these officials the strength of the Caribbean people. Cause Absolutely. All these people who come with this thing about, oh, well, I don't like carnival because I'm walking in front of my hose and there's too much noise. I mean, get a grip. That's how you show the solidarity of your culture and show that it should be respected by these people who are elected officials. They are all here for votes. And when you are a organized number, if you're an organized entity as Caribbean people, they will have to, right, cease to your, to your demands at some point because they need you and it's a show of power. You know what, I think because obviously I've grown up with it and have gone practically nearly every year of my life, the one thing that I always take away from it, aside from obviously the party, the sounds, the food, everything, it's it's the community. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's and it's not just the it's not just, you know, the Caribbean community, the, the African community, it's everyone. Yeah. Everyone coming and celebrating culture and just like it's 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 so beautiful. And that's yeah. what I love about it. You know, it we're is. all like, we're all here. We're all here together. Yeah. We're all equal. It's all good. Right. You know, like. And, you know, and it promotes diversity, you know. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, a lot of people don't look at England as a diverse place, but it is a diverse place. And it, and, but it needs to be represented as a, di- as a diverse place, you know. Completely. And um, 
you know, as 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 time goes by and it grows, you know, things change. So, you know, uh, we see the direction it's going through, and Carnival does play it play a big part of that. Absolutely, we need you back for next year. That would be great. I love it. I always <laughs> I always enjoy it. <laughs> Just bringing it a little bit back to the food, I know you mentioned that these days you're being quite careful because of the old uh, COVID pounds, which we're all suffering from, <laughs> may I just say. Um, and you said, obviously, you're, you're kind of sticking to your like one big meal a day, which actually is very healthy because you're doing what I would call intermittent fasting. So it you're is. kind of like having your small dinner and then you're missing breakfast to go right. into lunch. So I yes. do that sometimes. It's very good. What are some of your specialities at home? Well, during COVID, I, I got back into cooking. I got back into cooking and I started doing my steam fish. I started doing my brown stew fish. I got, I, I really got into doing different types of pastas. You know, um, I like, you know, I, I do a great spaghetti and clam. You know, Ooh. I do, you know, um, there's, there's just little things that I, that I really got into doing. And it was about seasoning and taste and, you know, uh, having the, having the, making the food have a wow factor, you know, uh, and I was doing things like I have a, I have a turkey sandwich I make, um, which is a Sausalito turkey, but I also grill it after the turkey because the turkeys are in, I grilled the turkey Yeah. on top of that. Then I put my, my onion, you know, I have an onion uh, chop up with the onion and the scallion and the thyme and you know what I mean marinate it inside a pot with the garlic and let it just there with a little with some olive oil, you know and create. Oh my this, god, that sounds create delicious. This, create this kind of, of of paste, and then I put the the grilled turkey uh, slices in it, you know what I mean and with a with a Scotch bonnet pepper and then I drop a little bit. This is the crazy part now. I put a little bit of Solomon Gundy. What's that? Okay, so Solomon Gundy, it's red heron, shaved red heron to give it that heron smoky taste on it. Wait, what's, what's red heron? What okay. is this? What's happening? You, you never heard of red heron? You, you, <laughs> no. You're, you're Caribbean girl, you should know about red heron. Well, it's, what's happened? <laughs> it's, sm- it's heron, but it's a smoked heron, you know, fish. And it's and it oh, gives a it smoked a, herring. Okay. herring! Oh my god! Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, I quite like the sound of this. Right. So if you chop that up really fine, right, with the olive oil with, with with it, and just dip it, it gives it a smoky flavor on top Damn. of the turkey. Then of course you put your lettuce, tomato. I normally put jack cheese. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, with a little provolone mixed. Yes. Oh my God! You're killing me. You're literally <laughs> right. My tomatoes, right, and uh, uh, of course uh, lettuce. Toast the bread, right, with butter, but but the garlic clove. Have the garlic clove um, uh, fried in a pan, like a, a solid one. Cut it, right. Mash it, and then rub it on top of the butter for that garlicky. No, dude, you're seriously, it. you're killing me. You're yeah. literally killing me. And slice me. it, and it's and it's amazing. And you could then you could add if you're a bacon eater. I normally do my bacon. I would I would fry my bacon, you know, and I do like. Oh, uh, you haven't uh, finished yet. <laughs> but you could. It depends on if you want. I could do a. I could you could fry a bacon, but then I put I, I put like uh, maple syrup on top of it, on top of the bacon, just to have that kind of a sweetie paste. And then okay. I, then I put it with the turkeys. 
Just, but that, but okay. some people are not pork eaters, so it's okay. No, I, I mean, I eat everything. I, I am, I am actually I, going to I'm a foodie. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that. I mean, my mouth is like dropped open. That sounds insane. Yeah. yeah. It's is okay. Yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> are you are you mainly based in Jamaica or in New York? I'm my wife, kids, and dogs are in Jamaica. Okay. Um, my recording facility here, uh, at this house in New York is where I've made almost every hit that I've ever done in this very room. Oh, wow. Um, was me, Angel, everything was done here. And I've had no, this... No, but the big, the big question is, was yeah. it you? <laughs> That's my story and I'm still sticking to it. <laughs> how many times have you been asked that question? Um, it's not about how many times, it's, it's really about if it ever stops. And you don't, you don't want it to stop. I'll be honest with you. In my head, I was like, listen, Hannah, you got this one shot. If you're going to, if you don't ask it, you'll always like hate yourself. And I was like, it's the worst question, but you got to do it. Like I, that was the song that like, literally, as I said in the intro, yeah. that's what I was singing along to. So you got to ask, like, was it you? I guess yeah. you're not going to tell me. You, you get a lot. You get a, you get a lot of that. <laughs> you know, it's funny that we've, ble- we've been blessed with a lot of catchphrases. I remember when I did Big Up. Everybody was walking yeah. around like, yo, big up, big up, big up, big up, big up. Ah, oh, that a girl. Everybody was like, yo. And then that was a catchphrase. And then I did Mr. Boombastic and everybody, lover, lover. Mr. Lover, 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 lover. You know what I yeah. mean? That became a catchphrase. And of course, then wasn't me. It's like the ultimate catchphrase. It's, you know, we've been lucky to, to have done some really big catchphrase records. That have still stood the test of time. Like, yes. you know, the other day, uh, It Wasn't Me was on the radio, I think, in the kitchen. And I was like, this, like, if this was released today, this yeah. is a banger. This yeah. is a serious tune. It is, it is uh, stood the test and then of I, time. And then my next thought was, damn, COVID needs to finish because I need to get in the club. Like, I need to go dance. <laughs> you and I both. You and I both. I, I miss stage, though. I want to, I, I miss yeah. performing. That's what I miss. Yeah, a lot of artists have, have spoken about this. Yeah. It, it makes you realize as well how much you love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big time. In terms of when you're back in Jamaica, where are some of your favorite places to eat? There's a guy called Screechy that's on the beach uh, in Helsha. Uh, it's a little shack. He does lobsters. He does fish. Um, people go out there for, for the lobster and the fish, fried fish and lobster with the Bami and the festival. But what I go there for, he has a thing called the soup steam. Ooh. So it's a steamed fish, and he, he, you know, he makes it makes a broth. It's in a broth, and it's got pumpkin. He's got those spinners dumplings, flour spinners dumpling, and then he's got um, Irish potato, a little bit of sweet potato, like some really chopped up um, green bananas, you know, boiled into it, and it's almost like a fish tea kind of a vibe. Wow! Heavy with the Scotch bonnet pepper, by the way. He's big on that you know your thyme your scallion of course and cook down and because it's steamed and 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 uh, the meat falls off the bone of the fish you know um the difference is that it really has that uh that the bones could be a bit of a problem if you're not careful mm. yeah mm. that's a problem the only thing you got to look out for but you if you're a skillful fish eater you know how, how to maneuver around the bones move around that (laughs) i always finish my conversations with a few quick fire questions are you ready sure my favorite snack of all time is a packet of crisps what is your favorite packet of crisps or chips if you're in america 
and why? I'm not a potato chip guy. I like Cheetos. That's fine. I love Cheetos. Cheetos is amazing. They're they're insane. I can eat a whole like family pack oh, easily. Love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> yeah, love it. But do you like the crunchy or the puffs? I I, I have them both. Yeah, I, fine. I, I, I Whatever. Have Just have, shove them all have, together. Yeah, I have moods. There's yeah. days I want it crunchy. There's days I want it soft. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all, Shaggy? Don't we all? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? I had turtle. Wow. I had it in never had in, that answer before. I had it in um in the Cayman Islands. It's it's their their big thing over there. And they always I was with Rick Rock at the time and he lives there and he was like, You should have it, it tastes like oxtail. And it does have a taste of oxtail except it's a little gamey. And I, I didn't right. I didn't really enjoy it. And there was just something about it being turtle that didn't sit well yeah. with me. No. <laughs> what has been your most memorable meal? I played somewhere in Italy once. Uh, I think it was Cantanzaro. And I went to dinner at this restaurant. And uh, it was a Italian restaurant in Cantanzaro, Italy. And it was kind of a mom and pop kind of a restaurant, you know, that they have there. And, of course, they have their siesta, so it's a certain time. And... They rolled out the most amazing Italian food I've ever tasted. It was the first time I actually have had um, uh, sea urchin. Okay. See, I haven't tried this yet. I really want to. Where they, where it's, you cut it open and you eat it like it's almost like an egg dip, like how you do it. And and I was a little taken back by it, but it was so delicious. And everything was so freshly made, and the pasta was just the right thing. The fish was just, you know, everything, everything. I, I think that was that was probably my best meal experience that I could remember, you mm. know. Uh, and this was probably around six, seven years ago. Okay. You know, it was lovely. Nice. I'll be honest with you. I mean, aside from a couple other cuisines, I think Italian food is some of the best. When when done well, it's just the best. It when done well, yeah. It's yeah. it. I think is the best food in the world. Yeah, easily. I, easily. And it's actually so simple when it's you think simple. about it. It's just that's, very good produce, right? Well, that is that is why, and that's why it's healthy. You you see you yeah. see them eat, but they don't get super fat or not like that. No. You know, they it's what they they make their own pasta. You know, it's 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 garden vegetables. Yeah. You know, uh, it's fish. You know, mm. it's it's meat. Um, mm. It's simple, but yeah. it is just. It's the seasoning. It's the herbs. It's the olive oil. It's oh. it's the love. You know what it is? Yeah. It's the love. Love. It's the love. When when yeah. they're doing, if you go to these mom and pop spots, you could tell the woman that is cooking in there, she's like a mom, cooking for her kids, and she. She wants you to finish the plate. Yeah. You know, it's like, remember when your mom says, you're not getting from that table until you're done. <laughs> yep, that was my mom. <laughs> exactly. So that's when I'm in this restaurant, it's like she's coming out. After she cooks, she come out and she look, she's looking for an approval. You like? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yes. Oh, it was so delicious. True. So why is that left on your plate if it's that delicious? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I, was, I guess I was talking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love that. I love that, you know, and that's why the food is so great because it's the love. 
Mm. It's the love they put into it in the Italian food. Completely. You know what I mean? And, you know, I, I love Jamaican food too, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's very, as I grow older, I don't appreciate gravy stuff as much. Mm. You know? It's, it's, you're, like I said, when I say we're a gravy culture, you know, with Caribbean food, heavy, just heavy food, you know, but t- it's comfort food. It's so tasty, you know? But when you could get that comfort food on light food, that's the magic. Absolutely. I think you've just answered my uh, my next question, which is, what is your favorite food? <laughs> yeah, Italian food. <laughs> there <yeah>. we go. <laughs> Two in one. My final question, and I think the most important, aside from asking that terrible question earlier about if it was you, <laughs> um, is live to eat or eat to live? I think it's healthier to eat to live. Okay. Do you feel like maybe you're in that mindset right now because of what you said at the beginning, that you're trying to be a bit careful? Yes, because it takes effort to eat to live. That takes effort. I have friends that I have now that they just eat to live. Like my drummer, he just eats just for survival. Doesn't care about taste. This guy eats fried fish, fried super dry, and white rice. And he'll do it every day. As long as he's hungry, he'll just eat it. And then he'll just go back and start smoking a bunch of weed. And, that, <laughs> and that's it. All day, every yeah. day. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm about the savory. I'm about the taste. I'm about absolutely the presentation. I'm about the gathering. You know, um, I'm about that. So it's, it's so, when everything so it takes like effort. collides together, right? It's the food, but it's not just the food. It's the people. It's the where you are. It's yeah. who you're with. It's the whole experience. That's what I always say to people. It's so important. Well, that's why the dinner is such a, a major part of our lives. You know, I was raised in a ghetto where I never sat at a dinner table, but the minute I got in a better position with my life and my family, the dinner table is a big deal because that's when you know each other. That's when we mm. could sit and have conversations. So, totally. And sometimes you get too busy to be at the dinner table, but I think we should, as raising your family, set aside for the dinner table, you know, mm. especially, if you have a big, especially if you have a big family. Exactly. Exactly. Shaggy, thank you. Thank In you. my eyes, you are successful. <laughs> I think you're wonderful. I'm going to say that it was you. You can deny it, but I think it was you. <laughs> you can follow Shaggy on social media at... I'm not going to pronounce this right. Can you just do it in like proper... The, the, the real Shaggy. D-I- there we go. D-I-R-E-A-L Shaggy. The real Shaggy. <laughs> Done now. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Thank you so, so much. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was great. It was a great convo. Thank you for listening this week. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and leave a lovely review. And if you can't get enough of me, follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and do visit the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel where there are plenty of shows for you to watch. Until next time, bye. (laughs) 